Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host Denise Messenger for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. This is June 27th, 2019. We're going to have a really great show today. We're going to be talking about spiritual growth and literally the life of Athena Demetrios. She's written a wonderful book called Walking Between Worlds. And it's basically a memoir. And we're going to get into her, the darkness to the light, her healing uh, that she never thought could ever be possible without the extraordinary multidimensional spiritual experiences that opened her. So let's bring her on our show now. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to spending time with you and certainly, uh, hopefully, touching the parts of your wonderful listening audience. I always feel like, you know, people can relate and to these experiences. They're certainly not not in a category by any means, you know, uh, by myself with that. So it's a joy to be able to, you know, hopefully inspire others with my journey. That's my that's my uh, desire anyway. Well, it's it's really the foundation for having yes, written your book. I don't know how long it took you to write it, but um, I'm sure that was a journey in itself. Well, it was, and I, I think probably the most difficult part of writing the book was because my life has been filled with so many highly unusual experiences, a lot of uh, paranormal, again, walking between worlds, but it was just simply my path. I always say it was my path back to God, my path back to wholeness, and I feel like each one of those experiences that presented themselves to me at like the right moment, the right time in my process of healing. It's really kind of like a, uh, a, a golden thread that added to the tapestry of who I am now. And now I can look back and I'm so very grateful for the dark and everything that it led me to and the awareness that it, it brought me to. Uh, the book took 28 years to write. The challenge with that was allowing myself to be really vulnerable, uh-huh. gut level honest to the bone, because I don't think it's an easy process when you're writing something like this to take a magnifying glass and let everybody see every flaw. And, mm-hmm. you know, just really magnified. And that was my, my biggest that was a big blockage, and it's like, how 
how am I going to open myself to perhaps that kind of rejection or, rejection or yeah, mm-hmm. scrutiny and because my experiences have been so highly unusual they're not in somebody else's reality they are in some so I'm not here to teach or preach I'm simply here to share my journey as my experiences happened for me uh-huh. and they're normal <laughs> they're normal in my world I call it Mr. Toad's wild ride and that's kind of it's kind of what it's been like. But I am so grateful. Something that did happen was that in 1982, and then I'll do a little backstory about okay. the events that led me to that, if if that works for you. Absolutely. In ni- okay. In in uh, 1982, and I had started writing writing the book. I had been told that I needed to. Uh, document my life journey and I started it but fear was really getting the upper hand so I you know put it in the metal filing cabinet and I was in a mall in let's see it was Westwood Los Angeles and a very beautiful very elegantly dressed woman she was probably in her 60s a complete stranger came up to me and she shook her finger in my face and she said, your life may very well become a film and a TV movie of the week, and you need to be writing. You could be helping millions of women. And when she said that to me, Denise, it, it was like a, a lightning bolt just went through uh-huh. my body. And yeah. I said, okay, how would you feel about your life if you were to die tomorrow? And I thought, well, I'd feel pretty good about my growth and where I'm at now and what I've healed. But I would really feel like I backed out out of fear and let that get the upper hand. So I came home, and I just blew the dust off of the manuscript, picked up where I left off, and that was it. My goodness. Yeah, there were there were some more events, you know, that uh, transpired. But to give you a little backstory uh, on that, so we can just kind of delve right into the uh, darkness of that, I was... Uh, born into a family, one of seven children, on the hills of my family. They lost a vast fortune. My father was a Greek immigrant, and he was a restaurant Greek. And he really had no command. Looking back at it, I think he was almost illiterate because he really couldn't couldn't write, and he he spoke with a very, very thick accent. I had an Uncle Gus, who was a Greek shipping tycoon, and uh, Aristotle Onassis came over and bought out my Uncle Gus. So my father inherited what would be up, you know, uh, worth millions, but he was a compulsive gambler, and he was an alcoholic. And my mother caught him burning stocks and bonds in the fireplace. Uh, he didn't understand. He just thought they were worthless pieces of paper. And so there was some investment by certainly by employees, and they lost absolutely everything. My mother simply could not cope. She wasn't a bad person by any means. There were so many beautiful qualities to her, but that was kind of at the height of where she just sought to escape. You know, they lost the house, or she lost the house for one or two mortgage payments left. I think it was one. She had seven kids. Yeah, seven kids uh, to seven kids to raise, and 
when my father left, because he would leave for periods, you know, long periods of time. You'd never know when he'd show up. But I really, I feel like that was probably his shame and his inability, you know, to take care of the the family. I mean, he he was known to, you know, he'd light a cigar with a $100 bill. So there was that kind of grandiose part of him. And when he left, and mother's drinking was uh, very much, uh, I, I would say, almost at a peak there, she took in a boarder, and, uh, you know, I think he was a boarder boyfriend, and he lived in the root cellar of our basement like a troll. Mm. And over a period of a year, I think he was there about a year, I was repeatedly uh, raped by him. And I was between six and seven years old at the time. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And, and you know, they they were uh, violent, for sure. And so I would, you know, I would detach. I would leave the body. But what I really did was I started walking in a fog of memory. I had no memory except one memory of, it was specifically clear, but I always say it was like watching a television program turn to snow. I remember everything very, very clear up to one point. And then it would just, like changing a channel or you get the channels, you know, off of the satellite and it's just white. Uh And my siblings would have, they have uh, memories of uh, a particular event that was very uh, violent where he was choking my mother. I have none, none. I remember when the police came and took him away but I do not remember that specific event. But, you know, they'd always say, you remember, don't you? And I said, no, I don't. And come on, uh-huh. I remember. But what what really um, happened, you know, after that was not understanding the source of all of that was I became very melancholy, very suicidal. But what else is a kid going to do with that? You know, you do what you have to do to survive. And so I really, and I remember uh, one specifically very, very clear memory, uh, and this was later on when I was doing some work with a, a hypnotherapist, but I remember feeling this feeling of, of almost like ice water being poured through my soul and and just making my little body uh, come to steel or, or to try to turn it to steel and and that feeling of I just have to be strong, but I really felt this wall, almost like this icy wall go down around me. And and I'll never forget that moment, that I remember. But suffice it to say, it became somewhat a whirlwind of uh, relationships that became, you know, I was self-destructive. I never turned to drugs, thank God, because I don't feel like I would be here if I did. But I had I had a, a daughter when I was seventeen, and uh, I ended up raising her uh, by myself, and that was at a time you know it was definitely a social taboo. But I couldn't let anybody really close. I would date uh, three months and push away. Uh, but that was my uh-huh. mo. And then when I I was around thirty two. I believe it was, well, actually, yes, it was. It was right in 1979. I had a very pivotal moment where I call, I got, I call it getting hit on top of the head with a cosmic hammer. 
and it was it was just that. It's like when we have no place else to turn, and I can't speak for other people, just myself, but it was like I had absolutely no place else to turn. I had to face myself, and I also had to face the fact that what I had been putting out in the world was coming back to me, really, of a like experience. And when there were things that I really wanted, I was being pushed away. And I didn't quite understand that at that uh, uh, moment, but I do remember, Denise, getting on my knees, literally getting on my knees and saying, because I had no... I was not raised with any belief in God. I really thought God was a real creep if he would let that happen and, you know, experience that much pain. I just thought God was a real creep with that. So I literally got on my knees, and I remember saying this deep, deep, heartfelt prayer, I don't know if you are out there, and I don't know if you really exist, but you have to be every word that comes out of my mouth and help me reach my daughter because my daughter wanted to move away from me at that time. I had become a workaholic. I was working for Revlon at the time, and I, I just was a workaholic. That was the one area of my life I you know, was able to find success. And anyway, um, at that moment, I had two visions. And one was this, it was almost like a pool of black sludge. And... I knew that that represented everything I had been creating, how I had pushed people away. And when I saw that, I, it was like I had this epiphany, and I said, oh, my God, I understand. And I understood what I understood, and this was the birth of my spiritual growth there, but what I understood was life had, had to bring back to me, no choice, but to bring back to me, a like experience of exactly what I had been uh, creating in the rest of my world and the impact it had on people and the pain that I had caused to, you know, to people. And when I had that, there was a golden ray that came into my front room and dusted everything with gold. Everything was dusted with gold. I did not understand what was happening. I felt like I, that whole period, I felt like I was dying, that I had this intense need to get my life and my world in, in order. And this is all uh, in, in the book. And I remember having to take my daughter to the airport because she wanted to come live up here. And Chico, I was currently living, uh, we were living in Los Angeles. And I, oh, my God, with all my heart, I wanted her to stay, but I, I knew I couldn't because it was the right thing to do. I, I had to do that. It was the right thing to do. And I came home, and, you know, suicide had always been so, was such a prevalent, um, it was like such a tug at me because I just so desperately wanted relief. And I just couldn't see how I would ever be able to change. I, I just couldn't see that change was possible. And I, you know, I remember writing one time, looking in the bathroom mirror. I was 23 years old, and I remember writing, if I had the power to change the things I see, I'd change the girl inside the mirror. 
and that's looking back at me. Sorry. Huh. Pretty okay. interesting. Uh, no, it's okay. <laughs> I will, it's, uh, once in a while I get a little teary thinking about it, but it's, it's at the same time it was such a beautiful unfolding. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember uh, just sobbing myself to sleep like I was sobbing years and years of garbage out and I I found myself climbing into this other dimension. It was like completely vertical and I had my fingernails about half, maybe half an inch from the top of this plateau and I kept, I just felt like I was hanging there almost like a dead weight and I and I kept thinking I can't do it, I can't make it, I can't make it and then all of a sudden I pulled myself up and I don't know if you ever saw that film Contact with Jodie Foster but there's a scene where she sees her father who's on the other side and that's what it looked like my father was there, he had Huh. He had been dead for yes, he was had been dead for 17 years. I saw him the night that we buried him. He appeared to me as a teenager of 19. That's also in the book. But um, when I reached this plateau, it was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever seen. You could see the the energy. You could just see it. It was translucent. It was um, glimmering. Uh, it was shimmering. Uh, the colors were so incredibly vivid and beautiful. And he was like in this really, it was like this lush green. There there were trees, and, but everything was alive. You could see how alive the energy was. And he came up to me, and there was such peace in his eyes. And I remember him holding me, and I was just, I put my head on his chest, and there was a feeling of complete awareness of how much he always had loved me, and that was always a question, but that was healed in an instant. And there was all of this white light that just flooded from my father's heart through mine. And then the next thing I knew, I woke up sobbing. I went to a little restaurant in Westwood with sunglasses on because my eyes were swollen (laughs) from crying so much. And I was sitting there thinking, where in the world was that place that I went? Where was that? Because my father was there, and I remember taking a sip of the coffee, and as I, as my head went back and I looked up, I was sitting under a poster of Edward G. Robinson, and that's exactly who my father looked like, Edward G. Robinson. So that was the beginning of what I um, would say was my spiritual growth. And I continued to pray just nonstop. I was never raised with like with organized uh, religion, and never really identified with that, not for myself, again, not speaking for other people. But I, I do know that there were times when I, as a troubled teenager, I would go sit by this creek and this historical covered bridge, and I would write. And when I would finish... I would feel more peaceful somehow, and I used to think, wow, if there is something like this, if there is this thing that they call God, it has to be closer to this because this, there's such a feeling of peace with this. There's no anger. There's no hatred. There's nothing else. It just feels peaceful, as short-lived as it was. 
so I started using a, a prayer, like a little mantra, and uh, uh-huh. within probably two months, then somebody came up to me that was almost a stranger, had just basically met him, and he said, you're ready for this. And he put three books in my hand, and they completely... And this was a stranger? He was pretty much a stranger. I had only met him probably once or twice, and mm. he just said, you're ready for this. You know, he knocked at my door, and he said, you're ready for this, and he gave me three books. And I thought, wow, I'm ready for anything. But uh-huh. when I opened it up and I read it, and it was uh, it was called, the first book was The Original Unveiled Mysteries by Godfrey Ray King. And uh, the second one was called The Magic Presence, which means the magic presence of God within us. Uh, and the third one was uh, The Ascended Master Teachings by St. Germain. It was all under that umbrella. And when I read read the first paragraph in it, I just broke down and I cried like a baby because I felt it was everything in my heart that I couldn't find um, outwardly. And, uh, you know, it had just basically said that, you know, life or source energy, whatever you want to call it, uh-huh. you know, that it flows to us uh, pure and perfect and that everything, that all life is was uh, really God and uh, God in action, but it was through our through our misunderstanding and misuse of the energy that we were constantly requalifying it and with anger, lack, limitation, whatever, all the human qualities. But uh-huh. if it were allowed to flow on its way, then we would experience peace, love, harmony and abundance for that was the natural state of life. Huh. Uh, you know, we're yeah, yeah, we were constantly requalifying it through free will. And everything in me responded to that. I just knew it was absolute truth for me. And so I began working with the the way St. Germain uh, started instructing uh, the students in that. And, you know, he said, really, you, you know, if that there's... You know, there's two places that you really that will swing to. One is the outer self, the human self, and the other one is the master within us, the divine presence that is beating our heart. You know, that still voice within. And if we don't let that one take control, then the other one will. And the other is the one that creates such chaos. And to me, that you know, I it, it just made sense to me. So I began applying what uh, what he instructed in there or gave to the student, and my life was transformed. I mean, it's been a process of mm-hmm. transforming. It's, it's pill, you know, it's peeling an onion growth. Simply happens that way. But uh, the paranormal experiences started tumbling over one another at that point, and then I did um, I crossed paths with someone I call my mystical muse, which is, his name is Dr. Peebles, and he's one, he was a, a 19th century spiritualist, and I, I uh, studied channeling, and, you know, I've been channeling him for probably 28 years, if not more, and so he's also been a big guide uh, in my life, and he was one that, he was the one who told me I needed to document my life journey, and, uh, 
also that it was very important for me. He said, you're strong enough, your teachers and I know that you're strong enough here now to go back and, and uh, look at how you've tried to heal other people through keeping your attention on, on other people's pain and not dealing with your own. It's a lot of work than that. Now, do you gain access to um, Dr. Peebles through meditation? Well, he comes through me now, um, and I work with people all the time. You know, do I, I do private sessions uh, for people. What what happens is that um, channeling, and I think this is the best description of it that I've ever heard, channeling is like any time that you do anything that you love, and I believe this is uh, was a quote, I believe, from uh, uh, Daryl Anka. But channeling, anytime you do anything that you really love, whether it's dance or music or art, writing, you know, podcasting, communicating as you do, that's really almost like a form of channeling. It's opening yourself up and allowing more than your everyday personality to flow through. And that's why sometimes when you are getting lost in something that you absolutely love, doing that makes you feel alive or that you're in complete alignment with, then that's really, that, that's a form of uh, uh, channeling or mediumship, really. And so, yes, you know, it, it took study because I, I uh, am, integrity is so important in this kind of work. I just think it's so important to, to have integrity in this kind of work. So I studied with a, you know, a wonderful teacher. And okay. studied for years, and I still feel like, you know, always a student in life, always sure. want to learn. So I see myself as a, a student on so many levels. And uh, and then and then he has some wonderful principles that, you know, he shares, and at some point I'd perhaps maybe like to share a couple of those with your listening audience if they're going through something difficult that would be perhaps an aid for them. And, and oh, that would be good. Yeah, that you know, to feel a, a sense of empowerment with that. So maybe if they want to grab a piece of paper and a pencil, we'll loop back to that if that's all right. A little bit. Yes, later that's on. yes, that'd be great. Okay. Yes. Okay. So um, what happened was that I ended up uh, knowing that I needed. I, I wanted to heal. I just wanted to heal, and I felt like, well, you know what? I'm here. Now I survived it, so I want to go back and really clean this up. And so I sought out a good therapist. I wasn't just willing to turn it over to anybody. I think uh, anyone who begins that journey needs to find an extremely qualified therapist. And I'm going to underscore that several times because mm-hmm. I think you need help um, navigating that storm. Because I but don't what, think what, that what specific attributes would you'd be looking for in a good well, somebody, therapist? Well, somebody that, uh, in that, number one, I think one has to feel aligned with them. I think that's important. Uh, the other one would be that they're, that they're qualified, that they're qualified, and if they're wanting to go back and if they're wanting to look at any kind of trauma, whether it is sexual um, abuse, whether it's bullying, whether 
it is verbal abuse, whether it's domestic violence or violent relationships, whatever it is, it's important to find a good qualified therapist that, you know, has some really good credentials. I think that's very, very important. And I think there's also a level of uh, a trust. I think one also has to, you're going to get out of it what you're willing to put in. And I, I believe there's a great truth in that. And I was, for myself, I was really willing to wrestle that demon to the mat and I, 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 because I wanted to heal. But also, for anyone who is listening and is feeling that nudge, you know, to do that, to begin to explore that, trust that it's coming up for a reason, that you're strong enough at this stage to heal that. It's not healed overnight, so don't, I would say don't expect it to be. It's a process, and it's like an unfolding of an onion, and it, it happens in layers. But one of the things I think that's so important is, you know, if you are, you know, feeling a lot of anxiety, which I really began to understand, which was, uh, you know, fear of loss with that, but if you're feeling a lot of anxiety and if you're, and let's say you're uh, a, a mother and, and, you know, you're, you're trying to keep on the strong face, you know, for your family, so on and so forth. Well, you know, kids, kids will absorb that. They'll absorb, I think, all of that by osmosis in a sense. So I always say go do this for yourself because you want more out of life. Your children will always benefit from your courage. And if you're married, you know, I would suggest, this is just a suggestion, don't exclude your husband. He needs to be part of the, the process as well. And it's also an opportunity, I think, that can also bridge and build some intimacy. But if one is feeling a lot of anger or rage or whatever, those are stages you move through. I move through them. So I, I would say, you know, if you're feeling that, I'm going to, you know, I'll validate that for you because that's part of a process. And once you move through that with a qualified therapist, then, you know, you'll move perhaps into some grief. And the grief, you stay in that grief for a while. And then you'll move into perhaps the feeling of loss and then eventually acceptance and and then, good Lord, the sun comes up, and the boat has turned to a new horizon. And mm -hmm. that eventually um, can lead to forgiveness and also, uh, for me, an, a, a difficult bridge to cross was crossing the bridge from victimhood. But I've been able to do that, and that's not a one-size-fits-all. But I also heard that... Uh, the word, and I love this, that the word forgive means give for. You know, those are incapable. And But everything happens, you know, in its own time, in its own place. It doesn't happen overnight, so don't expect it to. And I guess I would also say, you know, buy the Kleenex, you're going to cry. You know, I used to think, where in the world do all the tears come from? You cry, but, you know, guess what? A couple of days later, you're going to feel a lot lighter. 
and it's not going to come out and overwhelm you all at once. It just doesn't happen that way. It didn't for me. It really doesn't. But, you know, that's being under the guidance and the care of a, a really, really good qualified uh, therapist. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the pull on me now. It just doesn't. And I can literally say, Denise, I can look at that um, as a blessing because one other thing here is that when one experiences that kind of trauma, you know, as a child, then everything in my world was colored by that perception and by those experiences. And so I always say it was like looking through glasses with distorted lenses. I can't trust uh-huh. that. I can't trust them. I can't let them close. But what else is a kid going to do? You know what I mean? You do what you sure. do for survival. But it, as an adult, it doesn't work if you want to have intimacy and relationships. So now, let, now let me ask was, you, let me ask sure. you this. Um, you went through hypno, hypnotic regression um, uh-huh. into your past lives. In doing so, did that help mm-hmm. you also in your healing process? Yes. You know, interesting enough, it did. Now, I remember uh, when I first went to see uh, Dr. Slavin, uh, who is, uh, incidentally, he's in the uh, Los Angeles area there, a wonderful therapist. I thought I was going to go in and get uh, hypnotized and it'd be, <laughs> yeah, one time, right? Well, it didn't work that way. But what he did tell me, he said, your soul takes you where you need to go for healing. So what happened was that he would put me under and I would go back to other lifetimes at times, uh, some of them were spontaneous without any direction. And I went to an in-between life before I was born. And huh. I was able, yeah, that was that was uh, amazing. And all of this, uh, incidentally, is in the book, you know, The Walking Between Worlds. Uh, sure. Something told me to transcribe those sessions or to tape them. So those are... Uh, all of my work with Dr. Slavin is from tape, word for word. And anyway, so I went to this in-between life, and the love, the safety, and the awareness that I felt was incredible. I was surrounded by masters and teachers, and they were showing me almost like they had rolled out this big film strip, and I could see these individual frames in it. And I could see, let's say, if I was in L.A., in Santa Monica, for instance, and I looked to downtown Los Angeles, I, I would see like this big, these big high-rises coming out of this frame. And I knew that that was going to be a growth experience. I just understood that and that state of awareness. And then maybe it seemed like there was another 10, 15 miles uh, in between with nothing, which I uh, really have come to know more as a probably a resting period between the next growth experience and then those uh, blockages would come up again. But I knew that was a growth experience. And they were showing me my life and where I was going. 
they were showing me my family and they were um, showing me that there were going to be situations that were going to be difficult and trying. But the one thing that they were really emphasizing, they were showing me what might be, and I'm going to bold the word might, and they were showing me what could be, and then bold those two words. But everything was going to depend on how I perceived to learn from those experiences, whether I was going to see myself more as a victim or a creator. So when... That's interesting. And if I would... Yeah, and if I was, like I said, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, <laughs> for like the e-ticket on this Disneyland ride, but if I was um, sitting in the same room with you right now, uh, Denise, and I uh, tugged on your forearm then that's what it was like when I I felt this real strong tug, like a psychic tug, and I knew I had to go, that it was time to be born, and I had to go inside my mother. And so that, you know, that was one of the the experiences. Well, it's kind of interesting because if you... If you were given the choice to be a victim or a creator, you chose to be a victim in the beginning and then a creator yes. later on in life. Yes. And you have to ask I yourself did. why why did you why did you choose that? Well, I believe and again it can be controversial for other uh you know, for other listeners, but this is only my own path I'm speaking of here. But I do believe that uh, because of having lived in other lifetimes, I don't think something is a punishment, but I feel like there was some real growth for me on some level. And when when all of that uh, uh, transpired, and believe me, there was a point there that if I could have stood at the top of a mountaintop and screamed, victim, 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 I would have done it. Uh-huh. And I know uh-huh. Dr. I, uh, and I did, you know, and I know Dr. Peebles has said, if you're going to be a victim, he says, do a good job at it so that, uh, you know, you own it and it doesn't own you. And as I continued with the work, and again, that was something in its own time and, and place, I began to see that as long as that had its hook in me, and that's what it felt like, it constantly would drag me back. I would have been this had that not happened to me. I could have been this had I uh-huh. not been raised in. And so I really began to look at it from that perspective. And then probably one of the most frightening times was really letting go of it. And I thought, wow, what, what do I have if I don't blame my childhood or my lack of this, my lack of that, on those experiences, what would that be like if I didn't have that there to lean on? And so that was a big moment. And you know, I, I was able to, I was able to free myself from that, cross the bridge. I certainly understand it. You know, I understand it, and um, I understand the process. You know that uh, people go through. And again, mm-hmm. I think it's a very individualized process. It's not a one-size-fits-all. I think that's something we have to navigate our way through here. But for me, I just wanted to, I wanted to be free. I've just mm-hmm. always wanted to be free in my soul. 
and uh, yeah, so that so it's been. I would say it's been really rich, and also with my mother, you know, to be able to forgive my mother for having him be part of the house there, the household. Uh-huh. But you know, I also, I I really know now, and I think looking back at being on the other side and that state of awareness because my soul felt as large as the United States of America. The love <laughs> and the safety and that acute awareness I can't even put into words. And I had never had or was never able to resolve that uh, with my mother before she passed or made her transition. And I was very angry um, and I, I felt a sense of relief, if I was to be honest, and I'm honest with this. And then later on, I just found my feelings begin to soften around her. She did have so many beautiful qualities. And I asked a medium one time, you know, how is my mom doing? And, and he said, you know, she she is constantly wiping her brow with the back of her hand like she did in life. Uh, that She did that all the time. And he said she wants to go back and live her life backwards. And I think it was for an opportunity to make things up, mm. you know, to us. And where she had judged herself and, and uh, you know, he said she weeps much in her slumber. And those words, Denise, just broke my heart. And I thought of what I felt like, at, you know, and that feeling. And I didn't want her to feel that way. So, I, I you know, I went to her grave and... And uh, I spoke to her about my newfound enthusiasm for life and really forgave her from my uh, heart, not my head, but my heart. And, uh, yeah, it was just... How have your your siblings um, responded to your journey and your book? Can they relate to any of it? You know, they can. They can. Some don't want to, especially when I was... Uh, exploring now because I had at that time um, let's see my well, couple of them are now on the spirit side sure. but uh, one uh, my sister Judy who I always say was my brightest light and my darkest night never did get to see me um, finish the book but she always she was very supportive of my journey work okay. and I well, she didn't. I hadn't written the book uh, before she had made her transition. I mm-hmm. I was somewhat in the process, but she was always very supportive. Not enough words in the dictionary to say how much I love her. And then my um, other uh, sibling. I I remember my brother couldn't understand why I was, you know, kind of like putting myself through that. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, he sees the value in it now. Okay. And because I think if if you know people see you um, cry, upset, whatever, it's like why are you doing that to yourself? Uh-huh. On the other hand, you know it's it's freed me up. You know I feel free. But let me just suffice it to say they all know I walk to the beat of my own drum and I fully own it. And my path is different uh, than theirs. Yeah, because I mean you have a lot of siblings, so I was just kind of interested. Yeah. yeah. And we get along great. You know, we have a lot of fun. Uh, there was just 
phenomenal uh, poverty. It was just horrific. It was sure. kind of made grapes yeah. made grapes of wrath look like they'd won the lotto. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, we laugh about it, and we get along well. So we yeah. we have a good time when we're together. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful. But uh, I would uh, like to share a couple of some of the little exercises, uh, if I may. Yeah, let's let's do that. We have about five minutes left, so we do oh have my time. Gosh, where does time go? Yeah, I, I know. Do, I will do that. <laughs> where does it go? It's been um, a, a joy and blessing here. Although I feel like I've hogged the whole conversation. Um, If you're going through anything difficult, if you're going Mm -hmm. through anything difficult, if you write about it, if you take a a tablet and write at the top, how has this served my soul and how has this experience helped me grow? And if you write about that, then you will begin to transform the experience and you'll own it. It won't own you. So that's the key. And another one is if you are, let's say you are in a relationship and you're having a difficult time letting go of the relationship, if you write, again, if you take a tablet and you write, uh, this is from Dr. Peebles here, six to nine paragraphs, and you identify in the paragraph, let's say one gem, about what attracted you to that person in the first place. So write six to nine paragraphs about one thing that attracted you in each paragraph to that person and then take all of those nine or six or nine gems and write them in one essay, like a you know a page or two. Mm-hmm. And if uh, possible, you can share that with the person. If not, you can go ahead and burn it. But that way you will find yourself transforming that. And then last but not least, so we're probably down to just two minutes here, but uh, last but not least, you know, he always says all life wants to be heard. And if you're in a relationship or in something that feels like confrontation and you get defensive in that communication, instead of approaching it that way, ask the person, whether it's a husband or sibling or whatever, I am asking for feedback. You have told me perhaps that you feel like I, uh, you know, I get defensive or whatever. I'm just asking for feedback. Please give me feedback. Let them talk and do not say a word. Do not uh, turn a deaf ear. Don't put the hands on the hips. Simply let them talk. And even if it's pointed with some criticism, you'll feel proud of yourself for taking that in. Find some truth in it. There's a truth in, uh, you know, there's a, a kernel of truth in that. And then give them a hug. And they're going to sit there scratching their head because they're going to feel like it, their point of view had value. So that's a really wonderful exercise. And then in closing, mm-hmm. I would simply like to, to say that um, my book, uh, Walking Between Worlds, A Spiritual Odyssey, is available on Amazon and it can be ordered through bookstores, but it's available on Amazon. And my website is I A M I M within dot com. And your light can outshine any shadow in your world. 
and I'm out here swinging the lantern for you. Oh, that's one. That's a wonderful <laughs> gift. <laughs> well, thank you well, so very cool. much, okay. Athena Dimitrios. Yeah, we really enjoyed okay. having you with us. Oh, thank you. I I appreciate that. And anyway, you have a a very blessed night. And uh, thank you for all the good work that you're putting out there. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. That wraps up our show for today. Please join us again. We'll be back on Wednesday next week. Until then, please be well. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?